This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey everyone, I'm David Chalian, CNN's political director, and welcome to the CNN Political Briefing. It's been a huge week in immigration politics. There was a vote to impeach the Homeland Security Secretary. House Resolution 995 is hereby adopted. A special election in New York. He ran essentially on Republican issues, on, the, on immigration, on, on, the, on the border, and really drove that, uh, that message home. And continued fallout from House Republicans tanking that bipartisan border security bill. Every day between now and November, the American people are going to know that the only reason the border is not secure is Donald Trump and his MAGA Republican friends. CNN White House reporter Priscilla Alvarez covers immigration for us and is joining me today to talk about how it's become such a flashpoint of this election cycle. Priscilla, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. So this has been an extraordinary 10-day period, two-week period on the immigration front. We just had a special election in New York this week where it was a dominant issue. We had a historic if perhaps unjustified, impeachment of the Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas from House Republicans. And we saw House Republicans scuttle and tank that bipartisan border security compromise bill that came out of the Senate that also had the backing of of President Biden. That's a lot on the immigration front in a very short period of time. And so I just wanted to start our conversation um, picking through sort of what in the in those three events in the last 10 days, what does that tell you about the state of the politics of immigration right now? Well, it tells me that Democrats have an opening that even three months ago, they would have never guessed they would have. I mean, again, in December, we were talking about record numbers at the border. Democrats were keeping it at a distance. The White House didn't want to talk about it. They kept pivoting to what they had tried to do in January of 2021. And then suddenly you see Democrats leaning in on this issue. You have uh, Senator Chris Murphy, who's giving the go to be on the offensive on border security. The Democratic candidate now the winner, uh, Tom Swazi in New York, who had been on the offensive on this issue. Actually, notably, he even went and swooped into a Republican press conference before the election and said, hey, I can talk about this, too. That was remarkable. That was something that Democrats haven't done before because they typically like to hear the issue and then pivot to the economy or pivot to health care. But this was an opportunity for Democrats to say, you know what, we also want tough border measures and it's Republicans who don't want that. Not only do they not want that, but with that impeachment vote, Republicans went after the secretary after tanking a border bill. So that, that seems incongruous. Exactly. So it brought up this question of, do you really want to make these changes? Do you really want to secure the border? Or are you just here to play politics by impeaching the secretary over what all legal experts says was really an impeachment based on policy and not on high crimes or misdemeanors? Do you believe, tell me if this is a fair assessment, that we are in this moment where Democrats are engaging on this in a new way, as you say, 
perhaps more aggressively, perhaps trying to get on an offensive uh, footing here rather than a defensive footing, because the migrant issue has left the border and gone into these blue cities and blue states and is impacting in news coverage and day-to-day existence a whole new set of Americans that maybe were not as engaged on the issue before. Do you think Governor Abbott's decision to sort of make that political play, this is the impact of it? I think there's two things at play here. One, yes, Texas Governor Greg Abbott took this issue into the interior of the United States in a very obvious and public way by essentially dumping people in cities without any sort of coordination, which caught all the city officials flat-footed and made it all the more difficult for them to manage the situation. So constituents who before were very pro-immigrant, and they may as well still be pro-immigrant, are now seeing how messy of a situation this can become, and they're seeing it firsthand in Chicago, in Denver, in New York City, uh, among other places. So it forced Democrats to contend with the issue in a way that maybe they didn't have to before because it was at their front doorstep in a way that it wasn't before. But what we're also seeing right now on the border is that numbers are lower than they were before because of high-level talks with Mexico. This is a, a hemispheric issue that is playing out and one where all the countries are involved. There seems to be some payoff right now with the work that the administration has done with Mexico. So between this landing on cities' doorsteps in a way that it hasn't so obviously before, because of course migrants went there before, just not in this way, and the numbers being lower at the border, it gives Democrats a place to play where they may not have been before. Actually, no, they wouldn't have been before. So let's pick apart a couple of these things. You mentioned the impeachment of Mayorkas seemed to be more about policy disagreements than proven high crimes and misdemeanors. What did House Republicans say in their arguments for impeachment that is the basis? What do they see as high crimes and misdemeanors, which is the constitutional requirement for impeachment? What What is their argument that Mayorkas has done? Their message boils down to he wasn't doing his job. He wasn't following the law the way he should have. He circumvented the law. That is where their argument was rooted, which is to say that by not following the law and enforcing immigration law, that he was therefore impeachable. Now, when you talk to experts across the spectrum, that's not the case. He was enforcing the law. It's a different set of issues that we face on the border compared to years ago. And ultimately, even in their own statements, Republicans were saying that he should have taken and the president should have taken a series of executive actions that former President Donald Trump did. So in their statements, if not in the articles of impeachment, it made clear that what they really wanted to see was different policy. It wasn't just about whether the secretary was enforcing the law. Was there a specific law they said that he was not enforcing? Is The immigration law, INA. That's it. That's it. That's it. Broadly, all of its components. Okay. That essentially he had allowed an open border because he wasn't enforcing the law. I have heard so much from House Republicans that they don't believe that was a real border security bill. And yet I can't find an expert on this issue that didn't say that that compromise bill that came out of the Senate would have been the strongest border security bill in generations. So how do you square that? Are the Republicans in the House, it's just purely rhetorical and they're just in their our way or the highway on H.R. 2, their their bill, or is there some validity to the claims that this was not truly a good progress uh, of a bill on border security? Well, let's start with where Republicans wanted to be. They wanted to be a, let's shut down the border entirely. Okay, take that argument. That's not possible. 
it is literally not possible to shut down the border entirely. So go one step lower. What this deal did is give an exceptional authority to the Department of Homeland Security to shut down the border at a certain point. There's exceptions. You can't just seal it off. Former President Donald Trump couldn't do it. Presidents won't be able to do it in the future. But you can, at least according to this deal, have a trigger that essentially says, I'm not going to take your asylum claims anymore. So you are pushing people off and sending them to the ports of entry to legally turn themselves in. And then there was a quota for how many people the the government had to listen to their asylum claims. All of this to say, that is something that former President Donald Trump wanted to do. In fact, he took executive action to do it. And then the courts came in and said, you can't because the law doesn't allow it. This part of the deal, everything else aside, would have allowed the former president in his time and then presidents in the future to do it. The legal argument in court would no longer hold because the law would give permission for a type of shutdown of the border. Right. This was the legislative remedy to what the courts blocked Trump from doing as president. Exactly. So everything else after that, raising the asylum threshold was part of this deal, too, among other measures. But really, it boiled down to that was what I think when you talk to advocates, when you talk to lawmakers, when you talk to Homeland Security officials, was the most extraordinary ad that would give extraordinary powers to a Homeland Security secretary in this administration and all of those that follow. Now, I've also heard claims from some House Republicans uh, and some Senate Republicans who are opposed to this deal, I guess, saying that Biden has this authority to do by executive action right now. You've heard them make the claims that like that Biden could indeed take more action without this legislation. I think I heard Speaker Johnson say this than he's doing right now. Is that and true the or fact, not true? The fact of that is that former President Donald Trump took executive action to do exactly that. And the courts told him you cannot do that because asylum law does not permit it. We're going to take a quick break. More on how immigration is playing a part in this election when we come back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Welcome back. We're here with CNN's Priscilla Alvarez. Before, I want to turn our conversation to sort of the larger picture of what is going on at the border and sort of the state of immigration in the country. One more political question for you, which is, what about the Democrats who really have resisted over the many years of this debate pushing border security without accompanying it with a pathway to citizenship, whether for dreamers or other undocumented folks who are here, how we got to a place and and what the 
sort of inside the Democratic Party, has there been any backlash you've perceived on the president for pushing what is really just a border security only component here? Well, there's been an interesting evolution within the Democratic Party. You'll remember the Clinton era. That was one of the toughest immigration laws that was passed. It essentially paved the way for the immigration enforcement that we know of today. That was under a Democratic president. Fast forward a few years later, you have President Donald Trump come in. It completely changes the landscape for Democrats. They move far more to the left on immigration because of just how controversial Trump's moves on immigration were, it didn't leave any room for border security because border security suddenly involved separating families at the U.S.-Mexico border. So when President Biden comes in, he comes into a Democratic Party that is so scarred from what they saw under former President Donald Trump that they only want to hear about reforms and not necessarily this toughness on the border. But the reality of the last three years was that the border was overwhelmed in a way that we have never seen before, at least in recent memory. And so now the only option for Democrats is to be more border security forward. But that also meant excluding, in this case, undocumented immigrants who came to the U.S. as children. We know them as dreamers. And President Biden, when he was in Las Vegas a few weeks ago, said to reporters that he regretted that they weren't included in part of this deal. But the fact of the matter was that the White House signed off on this. And so where Democrats were before, where they absolutely had to be included in any immigration reform, just wasn't part of the conversation because we're in a position now where border security is front and center. And that is what Americans want to see after seeing three years of a border that has just been completely strained by the number of people who are arriving and that can frankly, in moments, look mismanaged. And that's exactly what the White House wants to avoid. So you mentioned the last three years, the border has been overwhelmed, that we were seeing a crisis at a level we had not seen before. My first question to you is, why? Well, the coronavirus pandemic. We're still seeing the ripple effects of that. Obviously, the Western Hemisphere, we've talked about for a long time, the deteriorating conditions across the hemisphere. But the pandemic completely changed everything. Conditions that were already bad got worse. The economies tanked in multiple countries. The best example I have of this is Haitians. So Haitians left Haiti after the earthquake many years ago. Many of them went to South America. They stayed there. Uh, they had jobs there. They were able to move about if they needed to. But otherwise, for many years, that's where they were. The pandemic came and completely disrupted the economies and conditions of these countries. And suddenly what we started to see was something that we call secondary movements. So people were migrating for the second or third time. They were migrating to the United States. And so these nationalities that we used to maybe see every once in a while were suddenly completely overwhelming the border. I mean, Haitians are probably the clearest example for anyone that was following this in 2021 when we saw Haitians under the bridge along the Texas-Mexico border. Then we saw Colombians, Venezuelans. This is far beyond the Guatemala, El Salvador, Honduras populations. This is more than that now. Now, when we saw all that that you're describing in 2021, wasn't Title 42, the pandemic era restriction in place initially by Donald Trump, but continued under President Biden. Was that not still in place? It was. And what that meant was that they could easily expel people. Instead of having to go through the immigration process, they could just turn back these nationalities. The problem is, is that there's not enough resources to do that. I mean, this requires airplanes and Mexico agreeing to take back certain nationalities. So 
We've gotten to a point in negotiations with Mexico that they will take some nationalities, again, in a way that they haven't done before with the Haitians. We started deporting, or as DHS would say, removing them back to Haiti. But it all came down to the resources and showing that consequence. That was the administration line on it. But I think it is important for listeners to understand that the magnitude of the migration crisis in this hemisphere has not been anything that we have seen before. And all of these people that perhaps were an afterthought before because they weren't moving as much are suddenly all arriving at the U.S. southern border. And we simply don't have a system that knows and can deal with that. Now, you said the numbers have started going down a bit. Did it peak, you said, in December maybe? or It did. So in December, we were seeing about 11,000 people a day, which is remarkable. i have been following this for a long time, and I have never seen that. Um, Now we're looking at about 4,000 people a day. It's still not ideal. I mean, under the Obama administration, that certainly would have been a crisis. But now they have sorted out the resources just enough to deal with this. 4,000 encounters that immigration authorities at the border are having with migrants who are crossing, I assume most of whom are uh, seeking asylum or claiming asylum. They're claiming asylum, yes. And what I mean by that is they have put enough resources in place where if one area of the border is overwhelmed because there's many thousands arriving there, they have a system now where they can move them somewhere else along the border to process them and deport them if need be or release them while they go through their immigration proceedings. So they've they've set it up just enough through this patchwork way that they can handle these numbers. But, and this is a big but, January is generally a month where numbers go down. And in the spring, it is likely that they will go up again. And that is exactly what the U.S. is trying to avoid. President Biden has talked with the Mexican president a few times, well, many times, but already a couple times this year. And there's ongoing negotiations so that people moving through Mexico don't make it to the border and there's or there's just enough consequence where if they cross through Mexico, they can be sent back. And do we have evidence that those talks are yielding results? We do. Uh, January, there was quite a big drop in Venezuelans. I think it was around 11,000 compared to somewhere around 50,000 in December. And that's important because Mexico started deporting Venezuelans who arrived to Mexico. The U.S. started doing the same. So that is an example when you talk to officials of there was a clear consequence. If you got caught, you were sent back and the numbers dropped. So... That is the type of thing that they seize on to try to keep nationalities from arriving to the border. But again, David, this was for Venezuelans. Who's to say there won't be more Colombians or Nicaraguans? And then it's back to the drawing board. And is it just Mexico that sits in the catbird seat for the United States to deal with this? Or, I mean, I know there is work underway, but are there results in U.S. relations with other countries at what they call the root causes of all of this in their home countries? There is. I would say Panama is the other big partner for the United States in the last few years because people cross what is known as the Darien Gap. That is a jungle that bridges between Colombia and Panama. So Panama has become another big partner to even keep people from crossing through that jungle to continue their way to the U.S.-Mexico border. That is the barometer. So when I talk to Homeland Security officials, the first thing they tell me is, okay, these are the numbers we're seeing in the Darien Gap. So that means that in a month, we might see X number of people at the border. That's how the administration is thinking about this. So that's a really important partner for them. And then they continue their conversations, and they actually have changed some of their strategy with countries like Venezuela by trying to lift sanctions and 
keep people from mobilizing and addressing some of the root causes. But none of this pays off in the near term. It's always a long-term project. Priscilla Alvarez, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. That's it for this week's edition of the CNN Political Briefing. And we want to hear from you. Is there a question you'd like answered about this election cycle? Is there a guest you really want to hear from? Give us a call at 301-842-8338 or send us an email at cnnpoliticalbriefing at gmail.com. And you might just be featured on a future episode of the podcast. So don't forget to tell us your name, where you're from, how we can reach you, and if you give us permission to use the recording on the podcast. CNN Political Briefing is a production of CNN Audio. This episode was produced by Madeline Thompson. Our senior producer is Haley Thomas. Dan DeZula is our technical director, and Steve Lichtai is executive producer of CNN Audio. Support from Alex Manasseri, Robert Mathers, John Dianora, Lainey Steinhardt, Jameis Andrist, Nicole Pesseru, and Lisa Namoro. And special thanks to Katie Hinman. We'll be back with a new episode on Friday, February 23rd. Thanks so much for listening. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com briefing. netsuite.com briefing.